0: You know, up to Psalm One Thirty Nine. Psalm One Thirty Nine is where we will start and uh, kind of come close to finishing with all kinds of stuff in the middle. Uh, but that's where we'll be. We're continuing our series, "Things Too Wonderful." Uh, adding on to the attributes that we have uh, been studying. We've talked about majesty. We've talked about simplicity. We've talked about the, uh, the city the city of God. We've talked about, uh, covered all kinds of these different things. We talked about the the uh, self-efficiency, the self-sustaining uh, nature of God last week. And then this week, uh, we're going to add to that. We're actually going to cover two things this week. We're going to cover the uh, uh, the omnipresence and the omniscience of god so two of the the omnis the third would be uh that he is uh i can't think right now trying to put some stuff together um so two of the 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 three omnis we'll cover today so omniscience that means that he is all-knowing omnipresent means that he is everywhere Uh, and that's what we'll be covering today those two things um I love to learn. I've always been that way for whatever reason. That's how God has wired me. Um, I didn't like the the parts of school where we had to do busy work. I like the parts of school where it pushed you and you had to think and you had to uh, learn. God has just wired me that way. I like to learn. Now, I've not always had the uh, the mental capacity to push and to learn all the things that I wanted to learn, but I still like to learn, I'm the guy at family gatherings that I've been told nobody likes, but that's fine. Uh, I'm the guy at family gatherings I've been told nobody likes because when we're in the middle of a conversation talking about something and something comes up and they say, I wonder uh, if, if that guy is th- that sang that song is still alive. I wonder what, what year was that 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 was popular. What, I wonder, I'm the guy that will pull out my phone and I'll look it up. I want to know what's the answer to the question that was posed. Now, some people, that drives them crazy. For me, it eats at me to know that there is a question that has been posed in conversation that I could know the answer to if I just got my phone out and, and went to Google and, and asked the question. I want to know the answer to the question whenever the question comes up. And so uh, I will do that. And depending on whether or not I feel like driving everyone else crazy, I'll do that and then give the answer or I'll just keep it to myself. I don't know. Um, but I for whatever reason I do that Uh, it's just like a compulsion for me and some days my wife really likes that about me and other days Apparently she does not like that about me so much Uh, and it can become something of a source of of pride for me or at least so i'm told and make me a little uh, annoying to be around so i'm told um uh, I'm, not really sure what she's talking about but but this is the the reality of 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 me and so uh so, something happened at one point in our lives whenever Emily and I lived in Louisville. Uh, we lived on campus uh, in on campus housing at seminary and we 'd been there uh, for a year or so and uh, the nature of on campus housing uh, there at Seminary was that people were moving in and out all the time. Uh, you would just go through these weekends where you would have several people moving moving out, and the next weekend you 'd have several people. Uh, moving in and typically I would just grab my work gloves and I would go help whoever I saw moving in or moving out just to try to be of assistance and uh, there was there was one day that we were helping some friends move in that would end up being right across the uh, the kind of breezeway from us that would quickly become our best friends uh, in in seminary and after helping them move some stuff in and and say hello our friends Mike and Molly uh, began asking questions about the city. They wanted to know, where do you go eat? Uh, where do you go shop? Where do you buy groceries? What bank do you use? You know, the, the basics of establishing life in a new uh, city. They, they just asked those basic kind of, of questions. And I gladly obliged and, and tried to be as helpful as I could. And I really didn't think that much of it whenever I did it. Just kind of went on with it and, uh, and went back to our apartment and went back about my day few hours later, uh, Molly came and knocked on the door and had another question to ask. I can't remember what it was. I think she may have been asking how to get to a place they wanted to go eat or something like that. I'm not sure. But whatever the question was that she asked, I had the answer. And she then replied with words that she would learn to regret and that uh, apparently sent shivers down my wife's spine as well. She said, thanks so much. You really do know everything. And before I could even react with a kind smile and a thank you, my loving, encouraging wife lets out a shriek and says, "No! How could you say that to him? That is literally the worst thing that you could have said to him. He will be absolutely unbearable now." I thought my wife loved me right up until that point. I did not realize how much uh, she she really didn't like me. I, I was hurt. But instead of taking full offense, I decided to be flattered by the compliment, uh, and I also decided to remind them every chance I could over the next three years that I did, in fact, know everything. It was a title that I wore proudly and, and, and put back in their face pretty, pretty regular, uh, which I guess goes to show the truth of 1 Corinthians 8 that says uh, that we know that all of us possess knowledge, and this knowledge puffs up But love builds up. We often, while I often like to think that I know everything, it's become quite clear to my teenage daughter that she is quite certain that she knows more than all of us in this room combined. I'm not sure if you're aware of that or not, but that is the way of the teenager. That is just how teenagers seem to work. And I'm sure many of you can relate to that. This quote by Mark Twain is a famous one. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. The reality is that we all like to believe that we know it all. Some of us are more prone to that than others, but we all like to believe that we know it all. We like to think that we know ourselves well, we like to think that we know what's best for ourselves, what's best for our families, what's best for our friends, what's best for our country. We talk about how awful the, the leader's plans are. It doesn't matter what they are a leader of. We talk about how awful their plans are because obviously there was a better way that that person was blind to miss. We talk about how our parents don't understand us and have no idea what they're talking about. We talk about how dumb our friends are for dating that guy, or for raising their kids that way, or for spending their money on that thing. The reality is that we know better, or at least that's what we think the reality is, and they should know better too. And you know what? Sometimes you're right. Sometimes you do know better. Sometimes the leader does make bad decisions. Sometimes the parents don't know what's going on. Sometimes your friends really are idiots. But sometimes, you don't know what you're talking about either. Such is the limitation for us as humans. We just seem to know that we're right, even when we're wrong. We know better, even though the truth is we're just guessing every bit as much as the leader is. Humans possess an inherent flaw when it comes to knowledge. We don't have enough of it, and we cannot get enough of it you can read every book you want, you can become more knowledgeable, but you still do not know enough. We have limits. Some of us, our limits are lower than others, and we have to fake it till we make it, but we all have limits. God, however, does not suffer those limits. This morning, as we continue to look at these attributes, we're going to look at them together because, frankly, I can't figure out how to talk about these two things separately, the omnipresence and the omniscience of God, the idea that God sees all, knows all, and is everywhere at all times. So I want to read from Psalm 139 this morning. I'm going to read 1 through 18 to start us off this morning. And I just want you to hear what the psalmist has to say and hear his tone as he talks about the knowledge Is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as it yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. It's such a beautiful psalm. I love the tone that David has here. He is enamored with the knowledge and the presence of God. He's enamored with it that it is inexhaustible Inexhaustible wherever I go you are there Where can I get away from you and the answer is I can't What can I say that you don't already know it God's, God's knowledge is not bound by time He knows all that was and all that is and all that will be He does not know all possible worlds that humans may create but he knows the world which he has foreordained. And this gets at the heart, the core of the difference between what it it means for us to know something and for God to know something. Again, just like we've done over the last couple of weeks, we will talk about who God is and the attributes God has by contrasting it to our limits and how we cannot attain these things. We know things because we learn things. We observe, we read, we study, we research, we test, we experiment. This is how we learn. God does none of those things. God doesn't learn. God has never learned anything. God's knowledge is exhaustive. And as such, he needs no one to be his teacher. He is not anxiously awaiting what you will do so he can learn a little bit more about who you are. He is not waiting to see what move a world political leader will make so he will know more about world political history. He isn't learning. He is never surprised or amazed. He never discovers something new. Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Another another translation of that would say, His understanding is infinite. There is no limit to what he knows and to what he understands. His knowledge is full and to the uttermost. Our knowledge is limited in every capacity. If I could could bring in here right now the world's leading entomologist, that's the guy who studies bugs, right? That's what an entomologist is? Y'all don't know either, so we're going to say that that's what it is, right? All right, the PhD says that's right, so that's what we'll go with. So if we were to bring in an entomologist in here, the world's top entomologist, and, and and say, you've got 45 minutes to teach us everything you know about ants this morning. He could fill up that time. In 45 minutes, our knowledge would likely grow about the common ant that you would find in your home. Were we to give him weeks of time to be able to lecture on this, we might come to know a lot about ants. However, at some point, His knowledge would be tapped out, and he would have no more to say. However, even to that entomologist, there are things about ants that he still does not know. He may dedicate his life to knowing about this one tiny little creature, and he still doesn't know all there is to know about an ant. Our knowledge is never complete. Even the most thorough knowledge that we know that someone has about a subject, it falls short of being exhaustive. We have our limits. Even though our knowledge may may be tiny compared to what the, 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 the leader, the leading entomologist might know about ants, ours is tiny. He knows more, but even his knowledge fails in comparison to what God knows. God's knowledge of the ant is exhaustive. There is nothing he does not know about it. Just as he knows the number of hairs on our head, he knows the number of hairs on every ant that has ever been or ever will be. There is no entomologist that can compare with that. Nothing escapes God. In Isaiah chapter 40 verse 13 it says, Who has measured the spirit of the Lord Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding? Who can teach God? No one can teach God. God is not in need of an instructor. But so often this is how we approach God. For so many of us, this is our prayer life. We bargain. We tell him what we need without asking him what we need first. We rage when he doesn't act according to what we deem to be just or correct. We fall in despair or anger when God does not give us what we've told him we believe we need. We seldom stop to consider that perhaps God's knowledge is greater than ours and perhaps he knows of a greater good for us than we even know to ask for that we don't even know exists. And so we push back and we pray and we say, God, will you do this? God, will you make this happen? God, will you make sure that you do what I know needs to be done for me? And so often what we get back is God's response, that's not what's best for you. You have no idea what's best for you. But I know Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, before Jesus instructs the disciples how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He says, don't be like the Pharisees who stand and pray for all to see. He says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Friends, do not pray to educate God to the situation or to educate Him to our will. We pray so that our wills may be bent and shaped towards his. Do you see the difference there? We are not praying to say, God, I want you to do this. You need to know this is what you need to do for me. Instead, we pray to say, God, I need to know from you what you want from me, and I need to shape my will around that because I am ignorant to know what is good for me, and I am ignorant to follow you in the ways that you have called me to. We are not omniscient or omnipresent. We do not possess these. This is by design. We are not God. Yet many of us set standards for ourselves that we would be this. We want to know everything. This is why so many of us are addicted to social media. We fear that we might miss something someone else has made available us do you need to know the details of every life that has uh that, that has been connected to yours do you need to know everything that is happening in everyone else's life this weekend you absolutely do not in fact there is a growing mountain of evidence that says the more you know about other people's lives the more miserable person you will be Increasing our knowledge not only puffs us up, it can also leave us completely cast down. It's not just that. There's also compelling evidence that knowing more doesn't make us smarter. It makes us more anxious. In their book, The Coddling of the American Mind, the authors make a compelling case that while fears of childhood accidents, uh, childhood abductions, childhood crimes or crimes against children have have decreased dramatically over the last two decades to the point where statistically they are thankfully almost non-existent. How, however, e- even as I say something like that, some of you moms are like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, but 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 what about this? But but I heard about this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want to make sure that this doesn't happen. And yeah, but 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 this is what you know got recalled at the store. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but. But the reality is that our kids are safer now than they have ever been on so many levels. But because, but because we know so much, even though the actual reality of danger for our children has dropped, the fear has increased. So while numbers that are reality have dropped, the fear that those things would happen has increased. Now you would think as things got safer for our kids, our fear would get would be decreased you see how you would think that would work but that's not how that works instead the more we the more we know about things the more we are able to hear the reports of things even though our kids are 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 way safer than they have been in the past our fear is at its highest level that something would happen to our kids knowing has not made us more secure it's made us more insecure You can read their book and you can go through a whole chapter about how this plays itself out in our parenting and the way we interact with our outside world. The reality is we simply aren't made to know everything. Our finite minds cannot process or calculate it all. We are overwhelmed and undone by too much knowledge. In our sinful, fallible state, knowledge has the ability to puff us up and to tear us down we have more access to information on our phones than, than than information that every great mind in history that has ever lived if you were to combine all of their intellect into one we have more access to information than all of them anything you want to know about right now you can if you want to know if you want to know how to be a nuclear physicist you can do that just go google it and you can be a nuclear physicist now maybe you can't get the degree but you can go get all that information online if you want to know about fish in the amazon river you can do that if you want to know how to play the piano to let it be by the beatles or moonlight sonata by beethoven you can do that too You can know the research of doctors in India or the political theory of communism. You can do all of that online with just a few clicks away. You are not limited by access to information for the first time in human history. And what do we do with this access? We take pictures with duck faces and we put them on the internet and we repost stupid memes about politicians. That's what we do with all that access that we have. It doesn't stop there either. Not only do we lack the ability to pursue all that information that we have access to, we don't even have the ability to translate that information to an emotional connection with the things that we already know. So forget learning things that are new, just think about the things that you know about right now and you can't, even, you can't even convince your mind to care about those things because you are limited in your emotional and mental capacity to pursue them. The world expects that you will know everything about everyone at all times. They will demand this of you. You don't believe me? Go on Twitter. They will, they will shame you for not knowing about something especially whatever their something is, whatever their cause is. And if you aren't 100% engaged, outraged, and passionate about their cause, then that means you don't care, and you are as bad as the thing that they are raging against. The truth is, it's impossible to know all things, care about all things, and pursue all things with passion. You've heard me say plenty of times, and I'll continue to bang this drum, that balance is a lie. I do not want you to be balanced people. But much of the world doesn't really want you to be balanced either. They demand that you be 100% engaged with 100% of the problems in, at a, a passion level that is 100% at all times. This is why the outrage cycle is unending. Because the world demands our attention, demands our passion, and we simply don't have it to give at all times. No one does, unless you're God. Listen to this psalm by David, Psalm 131. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Do you understand what David is praying there? He's not praying to God saying, God, I need to calm my anxieties because I need to know. God, I must know. God, will you teach me? Will you tell me? There's other places in the Psalms when he says, teach me. But here he's saying, there are things that I do not know. There are things that are too great for me, that are too much for me. And God, I am okay with that. I let that go. I will no longer let that cause anxiety in me because I don't know all things and I am not passionate about all things. Instead, God, I will hand that over to you and I will quiet my soul. He says, God, I don't know things. And I'm going to let go of that anxiety and that fear that comes with that. And I'm going to be okay with it because I know that my worship depends on it. So friend, if I could tell you anything tonight, I would, or t- this morning, I would say, rest easy tonight. When you go to bed, God will not. Even if you do not know about all things or have the ability to pursue all things, there is a God who does and who is. Pray to that end. Pray that God would increase your knowledge. Pray that God would increase your passion in accordance with his will. Pray that God would enlarge your heart and he would enlarge your empathy for others. Pray that he would enable you to help and to love. Then do these things as he calls you to them. And then sleep well. Even if you cannot pursue all that the world says you must care about, God is not lacking in his ability. He knows it all well. He knows it to the uttermost. And he will send his servants as he sees fit. We do not and we cannot know everything. And that is okay go along with David and change your heart from the anxious, demanding, Lord only knows, to the restful, worshipful, God knows. And that's enough. Now this is not to say that the pursuit of knowledge is bad. It is not. I encourage you to pursue it. Whether via the internet or books or learning from others or going to a school, pursue knowledge. Just make sure it finds its place to serve your relationship with God and not replace your relationship with God. Listen to this exhortation from Jen Wilkin in her book, None Like Him. As you survey the information buffet, ask yourself, will the time and attention I give to this make me more like Christ? Will it make me better able to serve God and serve others? Am I feeding my intellect in a way that enables me to love the Lord my God with all my mind or in a way that causes my information to overload? Does what I'm learning cause me to worship myself, or cause me to marvel at the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Let me, re- let, let me reread this real quick. I want, you to, I want you to ask you this question. I'm going to replace one little part. As you survey the information buffet, one thing. As you survey social media, ask yourself, Will the time and attention I give to this make me more like Christ? Will it make me better able to serve God and serve others? Am I feeding my intellect in a way that enables me to love the Lord my God with all my mind or in a way that causes information overload? Does what I'm learning on social media cause me to worship myself or cause me to marvel at the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Challenge your heart this morning. Why do you want to know more? Is it to soothe a nervous heart? Is it to calm the fear of missing out? Is it to puff up your own ego? Let your knowledge cause you to marvel at God. And as you grow in knowledge, I pray that you would grow in your awareness of how much you do not know. And finally, I want to drive home what is the most important part of what we have said here today. If God knows everything exhaustively, if he knows everything, where does that leave us? Or maybe more to the point, if God knows everything about us, where does that leave us? Or perhaps even a little more personal. If God knows everything about you, where does that leave you? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed of the, to the eyes of him who we must give account. Prince, that is no comforting thought to me this morning. I do not want to know the truth about myself, let alone let everyone else know it, let alone come face to, the, face to face with the fact that God knows it. I can convince myself that I'm a pretty good guy. And while I can be self-deceived, God is not deceived. Quite literally, He knows better. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9 says, For the Lord searches all hearts, and understands every plan and thought. So, so what that means is that he doesn't just evaluate what you do. He doesn't just evaluate what actually takes place. He doesn't even evaluate you on your best moments and your best thoughts and your, what, you, what you intended to happen all the time. He doesn't just know what I do. He knows what my plans are. He knows my motives at a depth I can't even fully discern. Friends, this is not good news, because I am a sinner. At my core, I am a sinner. God's omniscience may be a restful place when I run up against the limits of my knowledge, but there is no peace when He knows my sin. It is terrifying that He knows everything about me. I cry out along with David at the end of Psalm 139, where we began this morning. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is my cry to God. Search out those plans and and discern those wicked intentions and root them out of me. Yet even as I cry out, I know that if God were to try me and know my thoughts, and he does, there would be much grievous way to find in me such is my heart. Such is my sin that is ever before me. Friend, if God's omniscience were the sum total of our story this morning, it would indeed be horrible news. If I were to send you out of this place this morning, you should walk out of here terrified. In fact, I would say the fact that God knows everything about us is for most of us the most terrifying news we could ever hear. Yet as Christians, we can smile and we can put our souls at rest when we consider how well God knows us. How is that possible? I read Hebrews 4.13 just a second ago, but let's just keep reading in Hebrews chapter 4. 4.13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. That is terrifying, but fortunately the writer of Hebrews keeps going. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Praise God the good news of Jesus Christ. The cross is the only thing that can remove our terror. There is no amount of good work that you can do. There is no amount of charity that you can give. There is no amount of church attendance that you can muster up. No amount of Bible study that you can read that will cause God to say, I didn't know all that about him. I'm learning about him as I go. And you know what? Maybe I I need to learn a little bit more. Maybe he's not that bad of a guy after all. God knows you. God knows me. And apart from the blood of Jesus, that is terrifying. And if you are not under the blood of Jesus, that should be terrifying to you this morning. We not only have a God that knows us, we have a God that came for us. You see, the knowledge of us is indeed comforting. Because if God did not know us, He would not know how deeply our sin runs. Just as you do not know how deeply sin runs in my heart. If he did not know, then perhaps he would have sent a remedy that is insufficient for the task if he did not know us. He may have sent a life raft, but what I need is CPR. He may have sent a rope that was too short to pull me up from my pit. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 says, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God's hand is not too short to save. He did not send a remedy for me that was insufficient. Because he knows me. He knows that I don't just need a life jacket to kind of help me stay afloat. He knows that he's got to pull me off of the bottom of the ocean floor, drag my lifeless body to the shore, and breathe a new life into me, or I have no hope. Because he knows that about me, he sent a Savior that can do that for me. I can be confident that he has saved me because he knew what was needed to save me and his arm is not too short. And so we can say along with the writer of Hebrews, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why we sing. This is why we celebrate. This is why we can have confidence when we walk into this place. He knows you. He knows you. Will you cast yourself on the throne of grace and receive mercy in your time of need? Or will you live in terror of the day when you must be called to account? Friends, this morning, mercy is calling. Grace is available. His knowledge can be your confidence in your Savior. This morning, don't walk out of here still terrified that God knows you. Walk out of here confident that He knows you. And because He knows you, He knows what's needed to save you. And He delivered it in His Son. Won't you cast yourself on the love of Jesus, find forgiveness for your sin, and along with David this morning, walk in the way everlasting. This is the good news of the gospel. He sees all, he knows all, he is everywhere. You just have to decide if that's the most comforting thing you've ever heard or the most terrifying. Come to Jesus this morning. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing another song. I'll be available in the back. If you're here this morning and it terrifies you to know that you will give an account because God knows you, this morning you can cast yourself on Jesus. Don't walk out of here terrified. But if you do walk out of here, I pray you will never stop being terrified until you come to Christ. We all will give an account And the blood of Jesus is the only hope and confidence we have. The remedies that we supply are not enough. Our arms are too short to save. But his arm is not. He has sent what we needed. Will you pray with me? Father, you do know all. Father, we confess our limits we confess how often we try to transcend those limits and we puff ourselves up with just a a shred of knowledge compared to the vast ocean that you possess. Father, I thank you that you do not leave us to our own knowledge. That you do not leave us to what some experiment or some book could tell us out of some library written by a man. But instead, you gave us a book to tell us about who you are, what we need, and how you, you gave us that. Father, this morning, may may our fear of you increase because you know us well. Father, this morning may our confidence in you increase, because not only do you know us well, but you have saved us.